Well, Bridge Church, it's so good to be here uh, back in Studio B, and uh, I'd much rather be with you in person. Uh, it was great to have some of you at the Eau Claire Children's Theater uh, these past several weeks, but um, we want to be safe, and so we're going to go virtual, and you get to watch this at home. So you get to kick back in your recliner, uh, roll over in bed, whatever you do, but I hope you have your Bibles, because we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. On September 1st, 1939, Germany invaded Poland. Now, some of you know a lot about history, but perhaps some of you don't. First, um, Poland was bombarded by German warplanes, then ground artillery, and then there was a blitzkrieg of panzer tanks and ground troops. Within a month, the Germans began uh, to round up their enemies, the enemies of the Third Reich that lived in Poland, and they began to put them into labor camps, prison camps that became death camps. They sought to eliminate anyone they viewed as being in opposition to their goals. One of the most notorious prison camps in all of Poland was, and, and in all of World War II was called Auschwitz, and it was in Poland. And I had, um, I, I would call it a privilege, but it was very humbling and very sad to visit Auschwitz 20 years ago when I was on a short-term mission trip in Poland. 1.3 million prisoners um, went uh, to the Auschwitz prison camp. And uh, that was from 1940 to 1945. One point million prisoners died, pretty much all by execution. Uh, one of the greatest heroes of World War II, uh, very little known, um, one of the greatest heroes was a Polish army captain named Witold Pileski. Um, so he was in the Polish army, but he joined the Polish underground in 1940 and did what most people would think is unthinkable. With the pr approval of his superiors, and I assume the approval of his wife, because he was a father of two, and he was a Catholic Christian, with the approval of his superiors, he went undercover to enter Auschwitz prison camp. And uh, he had been given a false identity with a, with a Jewish name. And he allowed himself in the streets of Warsaw to be routine, routine, routinely uh, arrested by German soldiers. Later, he would write, I bade farewell to everything I had known on this earth. And he really did. So he became a prisoner at Auschwitz, just like anyone else. He was despised by the Germans because he, they believed, was Jewish. Um, he was beaten, and he was under the constant threat of death. By 1941, a year later, he began to implement his undercover mission. He organized prisoners into a resistance uh, movement, into units, and it boosted their morale, at least for a time. 
he began to document war crimes uh, at Auschwitz with detailed reports, and, and they were smuggled out by couriers. By 1942, he helped organize a secret radio station built from scrap parts, and the radio was used to provide intelligence to the Allied forces about what was going on in Auschwitz. He then, um, in 1943, he joined the bakery, which was a little more safe place. But there he overpowered a guard and was able to escape. After having been imprisoned for two and a half years as a volunteer prisoner. He served out the rest of the war fighting on the front lines in Poland against with the Allies against the German army. Now, when Russia invaded Poland at the end of the war, so we have a war in the West and, and a war in the East. The Allies are coming from the West. The Russians are closing in on Germany from the East. And when they came into Poland, when Russia came into Poland, um, Polisky uh, continued to serve the Polish underground. He was a patriot of the Pol Polish government. The Polish government had gone into exile in London when the Germans invade. Now the Russians have invaded. In 1947, two years after World War II, he was arrested by the Russians and executed for being a patriot to his own country, Poland. Witold Polisky was a man who wasn't afraid to do what was right. He wasn't afraid to suffer for a higher cause. He walked into danger. He was willing to sacrifice even his own life to do good. When you think about it, Jesus was willing to walk into danger for us. Jesus valued doing what was right more than his own comfort, more than... Um, his own safety. Jesus was willing to sacrifice everything for a higher cause, to do the will of his Father. And now he's called on us to follow in his steps, to do what is right, to make sacrifices for a higher cause, higher than our safety and our comfort. We want to, uh, as we begin this passage, I want to remember the context that we, we've had in 1 Peter already. You know, 1 Peter is kind of a survival guide for suffering, for those who suffer. Let's go back to chapter 1 in verses uh, 6 and 7. And so Peter writes, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So the context here, he begins, And all this meaning um, as you uh, think about your new birth that you've received by faith in Christ. Um, he says, you greatly rejoice over that. But now, for a little while, and maybe it's day after day, and maybe it's year after year, you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. If you remember, the church in the first century was going through a persecution. Now, we've had our various kinds of trials this year, haven't we? 2020, we're going to remember that one for a long time. We've had a lot of trials that are different. Look at verse 7. These have come so that the proven 
so that the proven genuous of your faith, go on to the next slide, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Jesus um, is our example. Uh, look at chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. And, and Peter writes, but if you suffer, and you will, but if you suffer for doing good, and you endure it, this is commendable for God. This is good. To this you were called. You were called to suffer and to sacrifice and to do good. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus is our example. He's our role model, and we're to follow him. We're, we're to follow in his steps. Sometimes that includes suffering while doing good. We have no guarantees that we won't suffer. We have no guarantees that we won't experience pain and hardship. We have no guarantees that we won't experience harm from evil. But we are going to suffer, and we should never be surprised. Here's the good news. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We will overcome. We Shall Overcome was a popular song of the civil rights movement in the 1950s and the 1960s. Martin Luther King often used to quote this song in some of his speeches. We shall overcome our grief and all kinds of trials by following Jesus. That's what Peter wants us to know. Um, we shall overcome because Christ suffered for all. We're going to see that in verse 18. Because Christ suffered for all. Um, last week, we, we ended our passage with verse 18. And today, uh, we're going to uh, begin with verse 18 because it's kind of a bookmark to both sections. So, let me just remind us, I'm going to read uh, verse 18 for us, so hope you'll open your smartphone or have it open or open your scriptures. We're going to uh, look at verse 18, and I want to encourage you, when we go through a book study like this, you need to have a Bible, because I'm not going to put all those passages up on the screen. Um, so let's look at verses, verse 18. Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So that contains the gospel. That's good news. Uh, we refer to this verse a lot, and it's really important to this section that we're going to look at today. And I'm just going to walk us through this verse one more time. First of all, his death was for all imperfect People, that's good news because I think most of us are imperfect, right? Now, some of you may be perfect, but most of us are imperfect. Most of us recognize we're imperfect people. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins. He suffered. Jesus is our supreme example. But more importantly, he's our Lord and, our, and he's our Savior. Um, he suffered. And it refers to a suffering death. Some translations say that 
for Christ also died once for sins. And this one, this translation says he suffered. And uh, it refers to the crucifixion. Perhaps you remember the film in 2004, The Passion of the Christ. And that word, that concept comes out of this very passage because that's the word used in the original language. It refers to suffering. Now here's what I want you to know. This verse is really tied to the whole book. And this is a survival guide for suffering. And Jesus is at the center for us. Uh, Christ also suffered. May we remember that. Um, next, we see the righteous for the unrighteous. Christ died for the unrighteous. He died for imperfect people. The unrighteous, meaning those who don't meet up to God's standards. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, all people have, have missed God's standards. Everyone is in the same boat there. Sometimes we don't tell the truth. Sometimes we get mad. Sometimes we get angry and we want to hurt people. Um, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Um, sometimes uh, we, we are attracted to immorality. Sometimes we want to put other things more important than God. Christ suffered once for the, our sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. In the 8th century, 800 years before Jesus, Isaiah uh, wrote Isaiah 53, verse 6. Isaiah writes, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We, all of us, he's saying, are, are, are like sheep, and we've not followed the shepherd. We've not paid attention to his leadership in our life. And each of us has turned to our own way. Each of us has created our own path. We've done our own thing. We've done it what we wanted to do. And notice what happens here. And this is amazing when you think about it. It's eighth century before Jesus. And the Lord, that means God the Father, has laid on him, meaning Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Iniquity is, is sin. And, and what Isaiah is saying, that God took our sin and laid it onto Jesus when he died on the, Christ, the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus was willing to suffer for a higher cause. He was willing to suffer so that we could be saved from the penalty of our sin. Um, in verse 18, we also see that his death changes our relationship with God. His death changes our relationship. Uh, why did Christ die? Well, verse 18 says, to bring you to God, to bring us into a relationship with God. That's why he suffered. That's why he made sacrifices in his life. That's why the Father sent the Son to bring us into a relationship with God. And now, for us, the highest goal is not our personal safety or comfort. The highest goal is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And to love your neighbor, someone else other than yourself. Living like Jesus entails sacrifice. It's Offering our, our very lives up to God for a higher cause. 
So how does Jesus' death change our relationship with God? Let's look at Romans 20, uh, chapter 3, verse 22. Um, and so think about this. Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous. We saw that in verse 18. Now in Romans, uh, P, uh, the apostle Paul explains the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So when we believe in Jesus Christ, we who are unrighteous, where God laid our sin on Jesus, Jesus gives us his righteousness back. We were unrighteous, and now we have been declared righteous by God to all those who believe. And then he says, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Next slide. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Jesus when you think about this, Jesus died for all imperfect people. He makes no distinction about who you are or what you have done. The offer is for every person who believes in what God has done through Jesus. Um, the only qualification is you need to be an imperfect person. God has already accepted the perfect person, and that's his son, Jesus. God accepts imperfect people by his grace. They don't deserve it. They can't earn it. And we, and we call this redemption, the price paid for our sin. Jesus's perfect life paid the penalty of our sin. So now let's look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes here, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, because of our faith, we've been declared righteous, we've been, made, we've been justified, we've been changed. Now, Paul writes, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a new, new relationship, a new identity, a peace with God. We're no longer enemies uh, with God. Uh, we're no longer at odds. We, we no, no longer are condemned. We, we no longer are facing an eternal judgment. We no longer uh, are facing hell as a reality. Verse 18 also tells us his death brings ultimate victory. It's an ultimate victory. Look at verse 18. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. He was put to death. Humanly, he was crucified. He experienced a real physical death. But he did not stay in the grave like all other world religious leaders. He was made alive in the Spirit. He was made alive by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit breathed life into his mortal body that became immortal. This is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was proof of Jesus' victory over sin. It was proof of his victory over death. And it was proof of his victory over Satan. And there are many passages in the New Testament that demonstrate this victory. What does that mean for us? Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 says this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that is the Holy Spirit, 
the same one that raised Jesus from the dead, the resurrection, is living in you. And if you are a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit is living in you. And, and he lives in you to empower you and to give you the strength and the resources to follow Christ. He's not living in you so that we can be more comfortable or so that we can pursue our own happiness first. He's in you and he's in me so that we can follow Jesus and follow in his step. Now notice what he says. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The same spirit. If you are a follower of Christ and the spirit of Christ lives in you, that same spirit is one day going to raise your body and you're going to have a new body and it's going to be a body somehow like Jesus' resurrected body. And we're going to overcome. We shall overcome. We're going to get through 2020. We're going to get through COVID. And um, we're going to recover. Even though we're going to suffer some grief in various kinds of trials. In verses 19 through 21, we shall overcome because Christ was resurrected for all. Now, we, we saw the resurrection in verse 18. But it's repeated in this section. And uh, I, I admit, this is a hard text. Now, if you looked ahead and looked at this text before uh, right now, you know, I hope you came to it and say, what in the world is he going to say about this passage? And so uh, let's have a look at it. Why is this passage uh, difficult? Picking it up at chapter 3 and verse 19, 1 Peter, after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So that's a text that we want to look at uh, as we um, finish out our time. So, on the outline, if you're following, we shall overcome because Christ was resurrected for all. I, I love what Martin Luther wrote uh, some 500 years ago. Look at this. He says, a wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage, perhaps, than any other in the New, New Testament. Now, I think there's at least one more passage that's even more obscure than this one, but this is a hard passage. And uh, it's been a struggle for commentators through the centuries. I think there are over 20 views of this particular uh, section. And I think there are three views that are more common. I think there are two possibilities. And I'm going to walk through the one that seems uh, uh, best to my own understanding. 
So we'll begin with verses uh, 19 through 20, a salvation analogy. I think this is the main thrust right here. This is a salvation analogy. So we pick it up in verse 19. After being made alive, referring to Jesus after, his, after resurrection, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Now here's the big question for this passage. Who in the world are the imprisoned spirits? And the two main views are that they are, on the one hand, fallen angels, and they have been in prison. They are in hell because something they did in the past, specifically what they did at the time of Noah. That's one uh, perspective. The other perspective is, do these spirits now in prison refer to humans who are already imprisoned in hell that lived during the days of Noah. Both views have much support, and um, I won't die for this view, but this is the one that makes the most sense for me. Personally, it seems best to me to view these as imprisoned human, uh, in, these imprisoned spirits are humans living at the time of Noah, and we see this in verse 20. It's it's about to those who were disobedient long ago. When God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So the days of Noah is the context for these imprisoned spirits. Um, I believe that Jesus uh, was present when Noah was building the ark. When God pronounced a judgment on the earth through Noah that the Spirit of Christ was making proclamation through Noah, pronouncing judgment on the earth. Noah warned his contemporary peers that God was going to judge the earth with a flood. Um, verse 20 says, God waited patiently for people to respond. Uh, Genesis chapter 6 verse 3 indicates that it was 120 years from the time he announced the judgment until the time that the ark was completed. And by the way, that's a long time to build an ark. And that's a long time to stick to your guns on a message. And it's a long time when people don't believe you. And a long time when people laugh at you and insult you for being so silly to build an ark on dry land. And you know what? According to the Bible, it had never rained before. Also in verse 20, it's, it's only a few people, eight in all, that were saved through water. Eight people were saved from the flood. Eight people, including Noah, believed the message that God had uh, proclaimed about judgment. Eight people were saved through the water that judged the earth and all the people of the earth except for Noah and, and family. The water didn't save them. The water destroyed people in judgment. The water lifted the ark that God had provided. And Noah and his family entered the ark, and they did it by faith because of God's instructions. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, the writer of Hebrews says this about Noah, by faith. And that's what, that's what Noah is... Uh, that's why he's applauded here by the writer of Hebrews, because of his faith. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, 
They hadn't seen a flood. They hadn't seen a rain. In holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Noah is one of the heroes of faith. Noah was told by God that there would be a worldwide catastrophic flood to judge the world. It never rained before, yet Noah believed what God said. Noah lived for a higher cause. He had different values in the people around him. And Noah gave his life to building an ark. He had a sacrificial commitment, even though he was laughed at and insulted. So Peter makes this analogy of salvation. People were saved in Noah's days because of their faith in God's message about what he said about his judging the world and his ark as a provision for safety. For us, it's faith in what God has said about his son, that Jesus died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. It's about believing in Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he's done for us. And it's to be saved from God's coming judgment of sin. So that's the analogy of salvation. Verse 21 is also the bapt a baptism analogy. A baptism analogy, and we see in verse 21, and the water symbolizes, and this is a hard text too, and the water, this water symbolizes baptism. So there's an analogy going on with baptism that now saves you. Uh-oh, that's a hard question. Does baptism save you? Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. So there's one thing I want to be perfectly clear about at the outset is that Peter is not saying that baptism saves you. The water that brought judgment in Noah's day did not save anybody. It was the ark lifted up by the water of judgment. It was God's provision that Noah was saved. It was not the water, it was Noah's trust in God's instructions. For the Christian, baptism doesn't save us. But it's what baptism represents that's important. Uh, baptism represents something that has already happened. Salvation by faith in God's message. Salvation by faith in Christ. Um, and it results in a clear conscience when we experience forgiveness and we desire to step forward and follow Christ. And we want a public commitment to say, what God has done for us, and this is the course of my life. I am now a Christ follower. Now, P Peter makes this very clear um, in this next part. He says, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection of Jesus that saves us. It's not the water that washes off dirt. The water can't wash off moral filth. Uh, it can't wash off our sin. Water baptism pictures Jesus' his, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So when we, when we have a baptism, uh, it's about identifying with Jesus and what he's done. And we, we identify with his death when we go into the water. 
and his burial. And then when we come out of the water, it's, it identifies our resurrection to a new life. And we see this in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through uh, 4. Um, and this is our new identity in Christ. We've been raised to a new life. It's because of the resurrection. Now, I just want to step aside and say that uh, water baptism is central to the Great Commission. It's central to our mission. It's essential for a fully devoted follower of Christ. Not to be saved, but to obey, because that's what baptism is about. It's about obeying the instructions that God has given. Um, it demonstrates our commitment to obedience. Uh, it's a demonstration of actually following Christ in, as he's instructed in his footsteps. And so one thing I just want to say, and we haven't had a baptism for a while because COVID has impacted this, but uh, we're going to have a baptism in 2021. And if you have not yet been baptized as a follower of Christ, I want you to make this as a high priority uh, for this next year. And if you have questions, you can, you can contact me and you can ask questions. And I'm going to sit down with anybody who wants to be baptized and explain it as clearly as I possibly can. I was baptized as an infant. I had no understanding. I had no commitment. It wasn't about me. It was something my parents thought they were supposed to do. And so they did. But when I became a follower of Jesus at the age of 25, uh, I understood that it was Jesus' desire for me to be baptized. And so I was baptized as a follower of Christ. And I identified with his death, burial, and resurrection to a new life. And that was a public commitment for me to make a stand for Christ with my life. So let's come to the very last verse now. In um, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, we shall overcome because Christ is exalted overcome. We're going we're gonna to overcome the, our trials in this life. Uh, we're going to overcome, now think about this, we're going to overcome all evil in this life. You can count on it because Christ is exalted over all. Look at his position, verse 22. Um, this is the same Christ who has gone into heaven, the same Christ who died and was buried and resurrected, has gone into heaven and, it is, and is at God's right hand right now. Right now, if we could see him, wherever this location is, there is a location in heaven where Jesus is sitting right now at the right hand of his Father. This is the highest position. This is the position of mo the most honor in the universe, and it signifies his power. The writer of Hebrews writes this in the first century. He says, the Son, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He's as clearly as anybody can say is that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus is God Almighty himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son. And he's sustaining all things by his powerful word. Right now, Jesus is sustaining all things. He is, he is sustaining us through COVID right now. Some people are struggling. Some people are hurting. Some people are suffering. Jesus is sustaining everything uh, right now. Um, 
Next slide. And after he had provided purification for sins, and that refers to um, his death on the cross, his suffering for, for sin once for all, after he provided purification, paid the price of redemption, satisfying God's holy wrath for sins, for all sins, for all people, for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God, the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And the writer of Hebrews says that too. So he became as, here, watch this. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus has uh, a position over all of the angels at the right hand of God. That includes the good angels and the evil angels we call demons, and that includes Satan himself. Jesus has a position over all of the angels. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, he says, since you have been raised with Christ, you know, he's talking about our identity. He's talking about what happened at our salvation. We died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, and we were raised to a new life. Since we've been raised to a new life with Christ, set your hearts on things above. That needs to be our focus now. We need to be careful not to just focus on everything around us and the problems around us and, and all the trials we face. The danger is we take our eyes off the one sitting at the right hand of God. We get overcome by the problems every day. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Next slide. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You've been raised with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You can count on that. One day we will appear with Christ in glory. We will be with him. And we're not there yet. This is a not yet time. Right now we must focus on him and the things above um, verse 22, we, we see his, Christ's authority. Jesus has gone into heaven, verse 22, and he's at God's right hand. And then it says, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And we saw this in the Hebrews passage as well. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is over all creation he is the all-wise God. He is being patient with people, not wanting anyone to perish. But he's just being patient. He's working out his plan. He's carrying out his mission right now. Even during COVID. And what do we do with that? Are, are we on mission with him? The Apostle uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he says, Therefore God exalted him, meaning Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And I think we looked at this passage last week that really fits with what we're talking about right now. This is Jesus. This is our Lord. 
This is the one that we worship. This is the one who saved us from the penalty of our sin. He is the exalted one. And one day, we're going to experience this firsthand. We shall indeed overcome because we will be like him and we will be with him. Lastly, I want to, I want to close by reading a scripture from Ephesians uh, chapter 1. I want you to sit back. I want you to listen to the words of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 18 through 23. This is the Apostle Paul. And this is a prayer that he has for God's people. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Because we don't always perceive what God wants us to see, but we can. And Paul says, I pray for that in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the hope we need in adversity, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. God has an inheritance for us, something he's going to give to us, but we, we aren't there yet. Verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. God has power available to us who believe, power to follow Jesus's footsteps. Power to offer our lives back to him. Power to live with a higher cause. That power is the same as mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, referring to the angels. And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That's us, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all power. And it is available to us. Not so much so that, so that we can be happy. Not so much so that we can pursue our own happiness. It's not so that we can just have a more comfortable life. It's so that we can follow in his steps. And so that we can offer our lives to a higher cause. Simply put, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22 is about three things. We shall overcome. Because... Christ suffered. We shall overcome because Christ was resurrected. We shall overcome because Christ is exalted. He is worthy. And may we follow in his steps. Let's pray together. Gracious God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for what you wanted us to have from the scriptures the truth that you've revealed to help us to know who you are and how you work, what you have done and what you plan to do. God, help us to lay aside pursuits that take us away from you. Sometimes we are more concerned about being happy or comfortable than we are about following Jesus. 
Sometimes we'd rather be safe than make sacrifices for the kingdom to offer our lives even when it means suffering. Give us courage. May we rely on your strength. May we follow in Jesus' footsteps to honor you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.